0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. All right, are we awake, church? Can we go in? Can we just jump, grab the Bible? Let's go. We're starting a series. We're going to teach through this book together. We've never preached through the book of James. Let's go. Let's go, James. I love the woos for the James. Let's go. This book is fire, and it's so important. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, But we're going to dive in every week. We have, uh, yeah, it's just going to be awesome. So let's start James 1, chapter 1. You guys got some Bibles out? All right, here we go. Thank you for the one that said yes. I hear you. I see you. Gold stars, gold crowns in heaven. That's not how you get crowns, by the way. (laughs) And if you get one, you're putting it back to Jesus. So it doesn't matter. It's like all going back to him, according to Revelation. James 1. Here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. What's up? That's what he says. So James, James, I want to give you some context. Because when we preach, we believe we we love scripture. We want to know context. We want to have some understanding of why it was written, who was it written by, all that stuff. So I'm going to give you some of that today, and we'll keep going. James, first of all, the book of James was written by uh, the the half-brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the church um, in Jerusalem. And his name is not actually James. It's Jacob, um, which you're like, what? Yeah, it's the half-brother. So Mary's son, half-brother of Jesus. And just to really frustrate some of you, why is it called James? Well, most likely, the King James translator wanted his name in the Bible, so he picked that one as the closest one. There you go. So some of you are like, oh, the Bible's not historically." Look, at the end of the day, there's still such historical accuracy in the translation. But that translation, we got got James. Nickname, Old Camel Knees. (laughs) I had some nicknames in high school little more derogatory than that, I'm going to be honest. I had to go through therapy for that. That's a different conversation. <laughs> True story. Old camel knees, the church coined James, Jesus's half brother, the first leader of the church in Jerusalem. Old camel knees because his knees were calloused from prayer. we to talk about that for a moment. In the inception of the church, followed a leader whose nickname was Old Camel Knees because he was bending his knees on the ground for so long that it gave him calluses. What kind of church are we today when we base leadership off skills and talents and not character or the pursuit of Christ? And we get so won over so easily by talent and the flash and the resume that we don't even know the difference between someone who's been with Jesus and someone who could just perform on a stage. I want to follow old camel knees. I want you to see the difference and to discern character. I want you to follow leaders that are on their face before the Lord, not as a show, but because they just want to be with Jesus. You need to know the difference between performance and someone who's in the presence of God. And I'm not talking about just the charismatic. I'm talking about someone who's secretly hiding with Jesus and hanging out because that's the source of ministry. James is that for us. James was the first leader of the church in Jerusalem. And most likely this book was the first New Testament document written. So what we know is that this is the earliest letter that was passed around. Um, You can go to the next slide. It was the first document. So it's the earliest letter in the New Testament. And we know that if you read this book, I love this book because it's so practical. Um, And and James was really interested for Christians not just to have the right belief, which are so important. We need to believe the right things about God. But he also wants you as a follower of Jesus to have the right practices, the right actions. You could summarize the entire book of James as faith in action, right? He'll say faith without deeds is dead faith, doesn't exist. You can't possibly think you can live isolated in your home drinking vanilla, honey, lavender lattes by yourself and not live this thing out in ordinary life. That's what this book is about. It's trying to get your faith into everyday ordinary life. It's James is like the book with dirt under its fingernails. It's got some scratches and cuts and bruises and it's got, it's, it's the, the knees are shredded and there's stains on the shirt because that's what faith looks like. Are you with me, church? Yes. Two primary influences for the book of James, the author, Jacob. <laughs> he is most influenced by his half brother's teachings on the kingdom. How cool is that? specifically the Sermon on the Mount. So you will see in here this idea of like the commands of God, the Torah is summarized through loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, taking the Sermon on the Mount and kind of weaving it in this beautifully written um, kind of, uh, global perspective, I suppose of the uh, of writing and and the second is chapters one through nine in the book of proverbs so you 're going to see these 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 kind of sage like wisdom being shared here and there. Um, the breakdown of the whole book, just so you know if you 're keeping record uh, is chapter one is the introduction, and it will really introduce you to twelve themes, and the rest of the book is broken up to chapters two through five, and it has to do with twelve teachings that are basically about wholehearted devotion to Jesus. If there's a phrase I want you to hear for us as I was praying about why we're teaching this book, it's simply this, wholehearted devotion to Jesus. See, as a church, we love the Spirit of God. I believe Jesus, heal, uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus heals today. I believe the charismatic gifts are for the church. I believe all the gifts are available for all of us. I believe that he wants to manifest. He wants to do things. He wants to wreck our plans when we gather together. But also, as much as I love that, I want you to be mature. I want you to be the kind of Christian who is wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus when the warm fuzzies goes away. When you don't have a tribe of friends who all believe the same things, worship the same way, dress the same way, or they're not around you, but you're still as passionate and on fire for God because you've been formed in the fire of devotion. Are you guys here? Um, This is going to preach itself. It's the book of James. Let's keep going, all right? So that's the, con- that's the con- so James is writing this to the church and we're going to jump into the first few verses. We're going to go through uh, 18 verses. We're going to spend most of our time in the first few. So he's, he says, greetings, and then he just dives right in. Listen to what he says. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith, circle that, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's stop there. Well, welcome to church. This is great. Thanks, James. Good old camel knees. Here we go. He's not going to warm it up with some, hey, great job doing this, or a nice encouraged greeting of how he's praying for us. He dives right in. He wants you, and he's speaking to disciples of Jesus, by the way. He wants you to know that following Jesus is not about warm fuzzies or rainbows and butterflies, but in fact, the real space where your faith in Jesus matters is when you learn that real discipleship requires resilience. Real discipleship requires you having the ability to withstand reality in all of its forms. You have to withstand trials. Trials, the Greek word, is an attempt or to learn the nature or character of something. What a trial does is it it reveals the character underneath the surface of something. So he's saying Consider it pure joy when you face hardships, when you go through challenges in this life, when the hard knocks of life come around. Consider it pure joy. Forget you, James. I mean, I really want you to think about this. The the command that this first church leader says to the followers of Jesus is to consider it joy, to take on a perspective of joy when you go through challenges. So what are trials and circumstances that are hard? It's when you lost your job. You got fired from that church. You got let go, and the job isn't coming through after four interviews, and now your finances are impacted, and your credit card bills are coming due, and your rent's coming due, and you already canceled the Netflix subscription and the blue check subscription or whatever it is that was an unnecessary addition to your life, I see you. You're like, no, that's essential. YouTube TV is not essential during the playoffs. I tried to convince my wife it was. (laughs) It's not. Going to friends' houses that pay for it, so good. That's why we need each other. <laughs> Although Netflix took that away, right? Like, no more login sharing. Anyways, moving on from that, trials. It's like the health scare. Again. Something pops up, it's undiagnosed. You go to the hospital, you have to get the CT scan. They do the blood work. They still don't know what it is. They're recommending a CAT scan. Um, what's the other scan? One of those things. I'm um, you know, MRI, CTs. And now the medical bills are high. But the, the diagnosis is still unclear, so Google doesn't help. WebMD, you're basically going to die, right? It's either you got, you got a chiropractor issue, like you got a, 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 a rolled ankle, or you got some type of undiagnosed cancer that's going to kill you. That's the, those are the things that WebMD reveals. Ushering in all sorts of anxiety and fear you didn't need to know, but then your di- time off is dedicated to researching late into the night, Your friends are you know using the extra bonus to get ahead and go on vacations, and you're using it for new diets that are very expensive because the organic stuff costs way more than the subsidized other stuff. And the juice cleanse is expensive because you don't. So now all of the medical bills, all of your extra time, all the questions of what is this, and will I end up in a wheelchair or not? Will they get healed or not? All of those things that's a trial. And James says, well, consider it joy when you're going through a medical crisis that doesn't have a diagnosis yet. When your friends abandoned you and created a little subgroup and now exclude you and they have a little group chat that, and they're doing their little comments and it's a hashtag about you. When you feel that they used their power and they abused you and no one is gonna stand up for you joy. Come on, James. Like, warm us up a little bit, you know? Like, talk about the good stuff first. No, but this is the point. This is where your faith takes root. This is the environment for the material of eternity, If you don't get this, that your faith requires you to live in reality and embrace these things, you will recognize you will not have a place to stand in the heaven that's to come. This is the tool that forms you into the image of Christ that will last forever. This is the substance where you breathe in kingdom air because in those circumstances, you withstand the threat to your faith, which is to doubt, which is to question, which is to live in fear and anxiety. No, 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 James says, no, no, no. The perspective you will have is joy. You're gonna choose it you're going to choose joy we're not choosing we're not talking about happiness we're not talking about like everything's working out and I'm on the green and I hit it and it goes right on the or I'm sorry I'm on the whatever the tee off thing and I hit it I'm using the wrong illustration I'm surfing and I'm in the pocket and I take it left and I just go (laughs) sorry I didn't mean to do that we're on pch got to know the crowd I love what Warren Worsby said. He says, the mature Christian knows how to sing while he is suffering. The whole book is about this, being the person that sings in suffering. As disciples of Jesus, you must see the world through the lens of heaven. This is what he's getting after. Let me talk about how we choose joy in a second in this whole thing about trials. But uh, I was reading this recently, and uh, it's really interesting. It, it's like James is saying, be like buffalo, not like cows. So the cows, if they sense a storm coming in a herd, they will just, they see it coming over the mountain from the east, they will run to the west, and the storm will eventually catch up. And while they're running, they'll just experiencing, experience the pain of the storm longer and longer and longer, and they get exhausted. Buffalo wait. They wait till they see the storm come over the mountains from the east. And as they see it move, they run towards the storm. They run towards the storm because they know that by going towards the storm, not avoiding the storm, not trying to outrun the storm, that their experience of the storm will be shorter. James is saying, hey, when trials come, lock in. This is where, this is the gymnasium for faith, the CrossFit for formation, or Orange Theory, whatever. I don't know what you do. (laughs) Pursuit 90. This is Pursuit 90. This is the Murph workout. Some of you need to Google that later. Not right now. (laughs) He says, trials produce Perseverance. All right, so check this out. When you go towards the storm, when you face this hardship, he says it does something to you. It produces perseverance. Produce, perseverance is endurance, it's steadfastness, it's resilience. And he says that resilience, that endurance that you develop only in trials and challenges, only when the prayers are not answered, only when, when you don't know where the miracle's coming from, when you stay in it, when you hold on to your character, that produces something in you. And when you, it, what it produces, is this ability to be perfect is the word or mature or complete. He says life's trials produce endurance and those hard knocks of life can make us perfect. This is the word in Greek, uh, perfect or mature. Go to the next slide. James uses the word perfect or mature seven times in his letters. And in this letter, excuse me. And in in the Hebrew, the idea in in the Greek as well, what he's getting at is it will produce not just maturity or perfection, he's getting after wholeness or integrity. So in a world where we will live as fractured beings, we will live saying that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, we live fractured when we choose to live our lives outside of that belief. He's saying, no, 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 perseverance will produce the kind of character that makes you whole. You become the kind of person that God intended you to be in the first place. Maturity is about a balanced life where your beliefs and your actions are congruent. I mean, this is the problem with church leadership in general, right? Where people say things on stage, but their lives look differently. Congruence. Congruence. D.A. Carson, when he talks about maturity, he says this, and he uses Paul, he says, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is simply a Pauline way of saying to be all that God wants you to be or to be spiritually mature. So you become the person God intended you to be when you accept trials, when you endure, and let them run their course so it produces in you maturity. Wholeness. I always talk to church planners. I planted a church when I was 23. This church, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow, you started No, No. And a lot of times people ask me, young leaders, like, how do you get to where you are? And it's a lot of questions. It's usually about, like, they want to know practice and model, and they want to know convictions, blah, 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 blah. And my answer now is just suffering. And it's true. Like, if you know my wife and I, there's a lot of suffering in our journey. I was talking to someone who's going to be a lead pastor and they're like, you know, what do I need to know? I'm like, it's going to be very hard. The church today is a different beast than it was before COVID. This, it, is, uh, it is remarkably more challenging for lots of reasons. But in my opinion, it makes it the most, it's the greatest opportunity to be the most biblical where we become the kinds of leaders that are congruent. So how do we take the stuff life throws at us and turn them into the material for maturity? This is, what, this is what James is saying. Go to that next slide. How do we take the stuff life throws at us, the trials, the hardships, the challenges, and use them as... WODs, workouts of the day for maturity. This is what, I really think this is what he's getting after, like looking at your life through this perspective. So he gives us this perspective. He says, number one, you got to choose joy. This is so hard for so many of you. You're like, what do you mean choose? I'm saying joy is a perspective. It is not based on your condition or the circumstances. And this is what this is so clear in the scriptures. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. It's not an emotional state. It's a reservoir of belief that God is who he says he is. And based on his character, whatever circumstance I experience, I can remain in joy. I can experience challenges, failure, pain, brokenness. I can, I can face the worst things that the, the enemy or life throws at me. And I can remain in a posture of joy, which is, Dependent upon the character of God, not on the circumstances, that 's a whole talk on it, so that's a serious we'll just keep going. The second thing he says is to persevere. So trials will produce perseverance. Now you have to choose to stay in it. Hear me on this. when you 're going through hardships, hardships challenges when you feel down, if you 're feeling depressed or anxious. We're trained by the world to escape it, right? We have mechanisms that that make us want to st- escape from the, 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 the responsibilities or the circumstances or the pain or the overwhelm that we have. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, it's not like, it's not big. It's like the other day I had Chick-fil-A and for whatever reason, that's kind of always been a food that I use to comfort my soul when I'm down. Does anyone, like, it's called comfort food for a reason. And like, I was having a great day until I ate Chick-fil-A. Like, it was like an hour later. And I'm like, why do I feel so down? And I I was becoming aware of my state, my emotional state. And I'm like, it's because every time I eat this, I'm down. And the brain knows it. And so now there's like this bond in my chemical makeup in my brain, this neuroplasticity that's going on that's like, you only eat this when you're down, not when you're happy. And I'm like, bless the Lord on my soul, I'm good. (laughs) But we do Netflix. We do, we do, we numblessly scroll through videos You know, when we're in bed while the TV's on, because we don't want to deal with the emotional pain or the stress, or we we just want to escape reality. Guys, as mature followers, we choose joy, which is not about circumstances; it's based on the character of God, and we choose to endure. We step in, we say, "God, come into this." Let me—I'll get to that in a second, because the next part is from the scripture. So. Let's let James tell you. The third thing is we remember the why. This is where heaven's perspective comes in. So we know that in persevering, God's doing something in us for eternity, right? So in our perseverance, it produces the kind of person that will walk. So this is what I think he's saying. So James is saying trials come in our, as we walk our, our life out with God, right? So we're walking our life. And if we choose to take the, the pain of life then it will produce in us a maturity, a perfection, a kind of character that when you die and you enter into the new life with Jesus or Jesus comes back, you'll continue to live in that maturity. There won't be a massive growth chart for you. Does that make sense? Like if this is the way you are, but you're supp- in Christ you're supposed to be like this, When you take life's trials, you're just moving towards the person you were designed to be so that when you die, you just keep growing in that maturity. Is that all right? Is that maybe not. That maybe that wasn't helpful. I just made that up on the spot. There's no slide for that. So be like the buffalo. Become mature, choose joy, stay in it, and remember the eternal. How are we doing on time? We're doing great. This is awesome. You guys are a great congregation. Thank you. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, in shunning a trial, we are seeking to avoid blessing. This is that perspective. On the other side of trial is blessing. It's you becoming a better, uh, uh, the most, the truest version of yourself. This isn't self-help. This isn't follow Jesus and your life becomes better. This is recognizing that you have a choice. You can see that as they come, it's your time to grow. Or what Scott McKnight said, he says, to consider trials as an occasion of joy involves an act of faith, does it not? For instead of looking at the trial, the Messianic Jewish community is instead encouraged to look through the trial to its potential outcome. See this issue through the lens of heaven. God works out all things for good for those who love him. So hard knocks of life become a space to develop for spiritual maturity. And here's the question. So now James leads us to giving us some practical things. Let me, let me keep going. So go to chapter uh, verse five. But James says, uh, essentially what he's going to say is, if we are unclear on how to respond, if we don't know how to respond to a circumstance we're facing, to a trial, to an issue, he's going to say we ask for wisdom right? So wisdom, um, sorry, the way to wholeness is through wisdom. James chapter one, verse five, look what he says. He says, verse five, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. So again, this is a perspective of heaven that you need to consider. Do you think God is a loving God who delights in you, who wants good things for you, and who gives generously? Or do you think he's angry and disappointed in judging you all the time and waiting, you for, to, waiting for you to mess up and write you a ticket? Your perspective of God is so important for your maturity in Christ. You have to know you're his beloved. And that daddy, daddy, what did I say? Your dad. <laughs> oh, No. Oh, dude, I I just, the whole daddy God thing really gets to me. Like, oh, (laughs) when they pray, I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) My kids call me daddy. When I talk to my boys, you know, I'll say, daddy loves you. Like, you know, and I I have this conversation with Ezra all the time because I'm in a point of parenting where he'll like, you know, operate his free will with power. And... (laughs) And there are things that I withhold from him because it's not in his best interest. He has no concept about PG-13 or rated R. Like, he's just so fascinated by the ratings. Like, what's after him? Like, is it as scary as that? I'm like, it's not as, yeah, it is, but it's not. Like, there's no, he doesn't understand that I, I understand. I've experienced the evils of this world. I've experienced the trauma and pain. And my job is not to withhold that to shelter. It's to protect and honor and guard. And so the question I regularly ask is, Ezra, do you know that I have your best interest? That all I want for you is the greatest joy in the world. So if you don't have that view of God, then it doesn't matter. You don't have an eternal perspective. That's accurate. So why would you not fight the trials? You don't think God's going to be in it with you? Then don't don't fight the trial. Flee, be a cow. Um, <laughs> gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person. Uh, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So he essentially says, look, if you don't know what to do in a circumstance, ask the Lord for revelation. Now, can we talk about this for a moment? Because this is so important, in this moment. Like we live in a, in 2023, we'll be, I was just talking about this with some friends, will be a monumental year for so many reasons, but especially A.I., I know, like, oh, AI, there's all these, like, I'm terrified of this. I'm like, I've seen Terminator. I know how this movie ends. (laughs) I've seen all of the movies. I know where this is going. But think about, like, we lived in the information age. Google gave us access. Now we live in this new thing of the artificial intelligence age, which will be far more influential than the internet and the iPhone combined. Multiplied, exponentially so. We live, so like not, we all, think about this. We've never had more access to information than than now. Yet look at the Western context and how bad the Western context is for humanity. Like the Surgeon General goes, oh, loneliness is an epidemic. And we gotta heal the United States of this condition called loneliness. And then it just comes out with this obvious issue of social media. And like we have this love hate relationship with social media, but it's clearly destroying 13 to 18 year olds' lives. Like it is, there's, there's, there's no doubt. Like, so in every good thing, like it can topple evil government and it can create the largest mental illness crisis in the history of humanity. Like there's, there's good things about technology and there's really scary things about technology. What's my point? My point is we live in a moment where we have access to information, but we don't live it. Wisdom is living out the right knowledge. Wisdom is practical it's down to earth. It's, it's applying the information you have over a long period of time in the right ways. So James says, when a trial comes and you don't know what to do, ask God for wisdom. It's not like, OK, I need a supernatural zap like the matrix, like I need to know how to fly a a B something bomber or whatever, Blah. OK, I can fly it. It's the old reference, I'm dating myself. Such a good movie. It's pioneering. No, no, no. Wisdom is God not only revealing that information, but then empowering you to embody it and live it out. And then he says, says, ask as someone who believes God's good and will give it to you. Not as someone who's going to question the character of God. That's what he's getting at. So when we face trials, I love what Roger says, um, Ellsworth. First, a word about wisdom. What is it? We must not confuse it with knowledge. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is application. Knowledge is comprehending facts. Wisdom is handling life. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. So James says, look, the or let me go one more. Skip that one. Um, J.I. Packer, I love him. He says, the kind of wisdom that God waits to give to those who ask him is a wisdom that will bind us to himself. You see, wisdom that James is after is living in relationship with God. So if you want the right information to make your life better, avoid a relationship with God. That's just information. That's self-help guru. Go for it. Follow that guru. But what James is after with resilient discipleship is you become the kind of person that lives in relationship with God. And from that relationship, you embody the things in the character and nature of that God. And then you live them out in your everyday ordinary life where faith matters. True wisdom is the belief that God is good despite your circumstances. Let's go, f- go through this for the sake of time. I could stay here all day. I love reading through scripture together. I really do. I, re- I know it sounds cheesy, maybe for some of you who are like, I don't really get this faith. Like, we have the word of God. And scripture is so important. And I know, like, we love to, like, devote ourselves to books, you know, and devotionals. I'm not going to rip on any devotions, but five minutes with Jesus. Seriously? Like, we need to be lovers of scripture, we need to read large chunks. We need to memorize. We need to, we need to become people who are just in the word. I have this saying in my household, no Bible, no breakfast. And um, <laughs> s- saying it makes me seem like, like a real fundamental, like hardcore. I definitely feed my kids. But that's a saying. I'm like, hey, I, want them, I want them to be in the word, you know, and long for God's word. So. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So here's here's an example of some of the situations that the first century church that he was pastoring in his local context were experiencing. He's like, Some people are dealing with poverty, but the, the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises and scorches heat, scorching heat and withers the plant, it blossoms blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because they, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. There's that crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James gives an example of how we can trust God in one particular circumstance that was very apparent in the first century. First century, Jerusalem and Judea was facing trial of famine and poverty. Uh, you had a a serious persecution in Jerusalem. They were facing famine and poverty. And so uh, he is writing to a group of Christians who were dealing with severe famine and poverty, like, hey, recognize that that condition, we can still trust God. And at the same time, the Christian community in the first century at this point, as it was written, were starting to be persecuted. So the wealthy who were able to travel under the freedom that Rome gave them, if they had wealth, they were kind of under the covering of Judaism because the Romans allowed Jews to practice their faith without worshiping the other deities. But then as the Christians began to say, Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, the Jews began to differentiate from the Christians. And those Christians who were wealthy were losing their status in society. Their businesses were suffering. Their ability to participate in the commerce and economy of society was no longer stable. And so some of those Christians were leaving their faith or as James says, starting to doubt and he'll say, don't be tempted to think that God is doing this. God can't be tempted. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in. You've got to decide who God is and how to live in response to that. So you can, d- despite your circumstances, persevere so that you can, you can receive the crown of life. So it goes on. I have more to say on that, but let's just keep going and we'll end. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt Anyone? But each person is tempted when they are dragged away, listen to this, by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. He's reflecting back on Genesis chapter 3. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. All right, so... James is talking now about trials. Talk about an opening chapter. Are you with me? Where he's like, consider it joy and trials. Here's what you're going to go through. You've got to be mature through suffering. And he's going to talk about temptations. And so we're talking about trials and temptations. These are all things we all face, do we not? Don't be tempted to think that this is God doing. He's like, no. What happens is this. You live your life and your flesh, your, your, your physical, but also your... Uh, uh, uncrucified self? Paul says um, to crucify your flesh, right? He says to nail the, the, uh, your fleshly desires with Jesus on the cross. So keep on cru- uh, crucifying your flesh, your desires that are outside of the way you were intended to be. And he says what happens is we're tempted by those desires. So the enemy comes, Satan will come and tempt you to act out of the maturity that you are, to act out of your real self, the self in Christ. You'll have old way of doing things. How many of you can wake up and go straight to the coffee maker without thinking about it? This is a formed neural pathway in your system. And when we become Christians, we have neural pathways that are non-Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so we will naturally go back to those desires. We will be be tempted to deal with those things. Jesus, think about this, before he does anything, before he's uh, uh, doing miracles and casting out demons and preaching the kingdom of God, he goes into the water and is baptized. Heavens open up and the voice in heaven, the father says, this is my son, my beloved. With him, I'm well pleased. And immediately the spirit comes upon him in a bodily form of a dove. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the gospel of Luke says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's led by the spirit to what? To be tempted. He faces 40 days in the wilderness where the devil tempts him and the devil tempts him in a way that would discard his ministry, shortcut his ministry, if you will. It will get him to the end faster without the cross. And it's to prove that he's the beloved. If you really are the son of God, then do this. If you really are the son of God, do this. He's tempted. So we all face temptations. And what, what, what James is getting at is when we face temptations, we need to see them like trials as an opportunity. Oh. Martin Luther says, temptation and adversity are the two best books in my library. <laughs> That's a perspective, is it not? So there's lots of different temptations. And what James wants us as followers of Jesus to know is that we, we should not get dragged away by our temptations, which are born out of sin, our disobedience to God, our, our missing the mark, which obviously leads to death. So the question then is, how do we resist, tempt- or how do we overcome temptation? How do we overcome? This is a practical book. So I wanna give you some steps. I'm giving you hope for the next trial, which hopefully doesn't come for a while. Next time it comes, choose joy, stay in it, remember the why. That coworker sent that email and it makes you look bad. Do you go straight to your instinct to flesh inside of you to curse them? Or you said, I'm going to choose joy. Gosh darn it. <laughs> and work through that. Let it, let it, and now I want to give you some thoughts on temptation, OK? So how do we overcome temptation? And then we'll end and we'll pray. Real quick, number one is We pray. We're going to be tempted. Some of you in this room have been failing the test over and over again. You're tempted by your own desires. To lust, that leads to masturbation and and pornography. Oh, that was really quick that you just dropped all those things. Some of you, are, are the Lord has asked you in obedience to stop being obsessed with your image. And there are things in your life he's asked you to get rid of that you're still doing, And now you're being tempted by it. Yeah, you put the 15 minutes a day on social media, but you you add the extra 15 minutes or wait till the next, your screen time notification thing doesn't work anymore. You're being tempted to be disobedient to this thing God's invited you into. So how do you resist temptation? How do you overcome the temptation? That's what I want to give us. I feel like we're so defeated in the church today. We are. We are. We've become powerless to change because we don't resist the temptation that comes at us every second. Who you are when the lights are off and no one is watching. This is the area God is after in formation. So number one, we pray. This is from Jesus. Matthew 6, verse 13. Jesus says in his famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And if Jesus prayed, we should be praying. When temptation comes, Lord Jesus, help me. How many of us are praying in these moments? How many of us are in an argument with our spouse or our roommate? And we're slowed down enough to not react out of anger agitation, out of the flesh, you know, the the cycle of argument you're in, not that I'm the, am I the only one in the room? Okay, how many of us are slowing down to say, Lord, would you give me wisdom for this moment? Don't let me do what I normally do, which is after she insults me, I just insult her a little bit more, you know, just like a little, not like overwhelming, just like 1.2 more. (laughs) I have prayed And I have resisted temptation in my marriage to do that 12 times in 16 years. It's been awesome. (laughs) Number two is we resist. Oh, this is a good one. Hebrews chapter 12, this one will put it to perspective. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. How many of you are going, "I, I need to stay with Jesus in this and not go and resist the point of shedding blood? That's a big deal. We need to resist. Look, I'm not trying to make a shame culture, saying you're not doing enough. That's not not what I'm saying. You're saved by grace. You're covered. But grace, as Dallas Willard says, is not opposed to earning. Sorry, grace is not opposed to effort. (laughs) You're like, what? (laughs) Heretic. I'm so glad you have good theology. Great job. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So this is about maturity in Christ. But some of us need to resist the enemy and resist the temptation. The third thing, let's go to the third thing. The third thing is we flee. James 4, 7, he'll say this in chapter 4, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How many of you want the devil to flee? Pray, resist, and run away. Like Joseph, when he gets to Potiphar's house, issues coming up. He's like, I'm out. How many of you are running away? It's like that five chapters of sin. I've told you before, I'm going to share it again. Chapter one, I'm walking down a road. I fall into a hole. I don't know how I got in. It takes me a while to figure out how to get out. Eventually, I get out and keep walking. Chapter two, I'm walking down a road. I fall into a hole. I know how I got in there. It takes me a while to get out. I get out. Chapter three, I'm walking down a road. I fall into a hole. I know how I got in there. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I'm walking down a road. I walk around the hole. Chapter five, I walk down a different road. James is after this kind of maturing. Trials and temptations giving us a heavenly perspective for both to see the way God sees it on the other side. As Christians, this is a practical letter that as a pastor of a local church, he's wanting you as a follower of Jesus to take your everyday ordinary life and use that as training ground for formation into eternity. That you're going to have hardships. It's promised. You're going to be tempted. And in your temptation, you're going to question whether God's good or not. Don't do that. In those moments where fear comes in, questions come in, circumstances remain on and on and on, choose joy. Stay in it. Remember the why. It's about the eternal and resist the temptations as they come. Pray, resist, and run away from Satan himself. And when you don't know what to do or how to apply the information, ask the Father in heaven for wisdom and the Spirit of God, who is the counselor, will give you wisdom. He won't just change outcomes supernaturally. He'll also give you insight On how to live in it. Trust him with your life and let your faith grow and become the kind of person that you were designed to be in the first place. That's it. James chapter one, verses one through 18. Can we all stand together? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.